Hey, Mason. You know, you and I have been photographers for a number of years. And I feel like I've gotten to the point where whenever I go out and shoot, all the rough edges are gone. Everything is smooth. Everything works perfectly. I can just focus on the art of photography. I don't run into any issues anymore. It's just perfect. I I love it. It must be nice. I feel like I'm stumbling around in the dark. I make mistakes right and left. (laughs) (laughs) I completely agree. We we were talking earlier about how many mistakes that we have made. And you think there are small mistakes, there are big mistakes. And it's amazing that not only have we made lots of mistakes in our careers, but we continue to make mistakes. I find myself doing stupid things that I know better. And so I thought, why don't we talk about mistakes? Oh, yeah. We could talk for hours. How about maybe just like a handful of mistakes each? See what we've learned. Sounds good. Sounds good. In photography, mistakes are great opportunities to learn. And we're all about learning here at Photocombobulate, so I guess we're all about making mistakes. And recognizing that making mistakes is part of the whole deal. All right, let's make some mistakes. I'm Mason Marsh. I'm Jeff Carlson. This is Photocombobulate. Jeff, this is a great topic for this week because I just got an email a couple days ago from one of our listeners, a guy named Jerry. He said that in our episode about photolingo, where you and I, especially me, I got really fired up about photographers who like to say ISO when they're referring to, you know, the sensitivity of our camera sensors, you know, the ISO settings. Yeah. They, they say ISO and I, and I, I went off and I'm like, it's an acronym. It's ISO. It's the International Standards Organization. It is. Yeah, it's, and that's it's ISO. Yeah, uh, it's not. We screwed up. We what? were wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, we had all back to front. So Jerry was very kind to send the link to the International Standards Organization website, which very clearly says that it's not an acronym. It's short for the Greek word ISOS, which is equal. And so they were looking for a way to have it be sort of a a word that could cross language barriers, and so. All the years that I've been saying okay. ISO and getting all steamed up about people saying ISO, I was wrong. I made this big mistake. It is it is ISO, and from now on, I'm going to call it ISO, and I appreciate Jerry straightening me out on that one. Damn it. Wow. Yeah. I've. Why is it capitalized then? It doesn't I, make any sense. I don't know. You know. I went to the website, and I looked, and it's still capitalized. It, it doesn't make sense. It is confusing, but it's... Got to respect. Got to respect. respect the... the the actual truth, I guess. Yeah, and um, I think that's... The gosh, sh- maybe I'll make a gif about this. Jeez, <laughs> oh, don't do that one. <laughs> I think that this is a great opportunity for us because, you know, whenever I make a mistake like this and I, somebody points it out or I figure it out myself, I'm always stop for a moment and say, put this one in the bank. Think about this. You made a mistake. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to do it right from here on out. And for some reason... Maybe it's my nature, Jeff, but if I make a mistake, I'm not going to forget that. And when mm. I fix that mistake and I do it differently, that lesson sticks and it stays with me. And I'm constantly kind of humbled by 
the amount of mistakes I make, but I think I also think that I'm a lot better photographer because I make so many mistakes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, especially the memorable mistakes. I mean, there are mistakes, you know, maybe in composition or something that you don't necessarily catch. But when we were coming up with our lists of of mistakes that we wanted to talk about, these were things that just sear in my brain. Like I can't believe I did this mm-hmm. as a professional photographer. Some mistakes you make because either you you learned differently or you know you're just sort of lazy about something. Like like one of the things that I'm going to talk about, I think, is just because it's. Not necessarily laziness, but it's because I'm not looking at the whole scene, right? Mm-hmm. And, but then there are some other things where this thing happens and the next time you go out shooting, you will remember that event and remember like, oh, OK, I need to do X because otherwise Y is going to happen. And when Y happened last time, I was crushed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean we're talking about moments where – uh, expletives are are put into use, right? We're talking about moments where you oh yes, you, you throw your hands up in the air and you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I did that. And I yeah. I don't do this all the time. I mean, I don't. If I had these types of mistakes all the time, I, I'm not sure I'd be happy doing photography. But <laughs> I do, right. it does happen often enough that I'm like, wow, you know. And I do think that wisdom comes from these moments, and you know, you get this sort of experience under your belt. Like, yeah, I've screwed that one up and I'm not going to screw it up again. So let's talk about some of these mistakes we've made, you know, these big ones and the ones that we're not ever going to do again. We're not going to make these mistakes again. Right. Um, (laughs) We will totally make these mistakes again. Probably a mistake that I even said that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, well, and uh, you know, for me, like that, that humbling aspect of it is is really huge for me because it makes me realize, even though I've been doing this for years, and yeah, I'm not a full time professional photographer, but I will guarantee you, full time professional photographers make mistakes too, and so there invariably comes a time when you're thinking to yourself, why am I even doing this? Because I don't mm-hmm. like what I'm doing. I don't like the the output that I'm getting and I can't believe I forgot this thing. Right. And it's great to take a moment and say, you know what? Like this is part of the art of making it. This is the part of the action and all of the different things that you have to put together to make a successful photo. Mm-hmm. And so of course you're going to make mistakes. And the people who are masters of photographer, they make mistakes. And yeah. so – it's okay. And then the next time you try not to make that mistake. And if you do make a mistake, you realize, look, it's all right. I'm human and move on from there. Yeah. I mean, screwing up is means you're trying stuff that. Yeah. And if you don't do anything, you're not going to make any mistakes. You don't want to be that person. So I'm going to start right. with one of my right. mistakes, right. Jeff. I'm, I'm going to throw out the first one here. Okay. This, this is one that I, it has really changed how I approach my packing specifically um, for trips. Uh I I went down to the Southern Oregon coast uh, and it wasn't a photo trip. It wasn't like I was doing a workshop or anything like that. This was just a trip down to visit family, but I always bring a camera bag full of stuff. And I always like to go out on the coast, especially in the wintertime. And this was a wintertime visit because the storms come in and the big waves and it's spectacular. Mm. It's always a great opportunity to go out and make some great photos. So I packed my bag full, all my stuff, I had all my lenses, all my I think I had two or three cameras with me and tripods and all this stuff. And I hauled it all down there. <laughs> and I got out on the shore with my friend Cal, who was out there with me. And I open up my camera bag and I take my camera out and I go to turn it on. And it doesn't turn on. 
And I'm like, whoa, oh, what no, happened to my camera? camera? So I, I flip open the, the door to the battery compartment and it's totally empty. There's no battery in it. I'm like, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I, always, I always have a couple extra batteries in my bag. So I unzip the pocket where I keep my batteries totally empty. I had taken all my batteries out to charge them up for the trip and left them in the charger back in my office. So I had, you know, like 30 pounds of gear ready to go, except uh-huh. absolutely no juice, no batteries. So I ended up taking some pretty interesting photos with my iPhone that weekend, but Cal got uh-huh. some great shots with his camera, but I, uh, I, <laughs> and of I, course, Cal probably shot a different camera, so he couldn't lo- loan you any batteries Yeah, because no, no, heaven was, forbid... Heaven forbid cameras, camera makers should use like one type of battery that would be interchangeable. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and it's not like something I could run down to the store and get these camera (laughs) batteries are are so specialized now and you're not going to go pick them up at, uh, at your local target. So I learned a lesson there and now I've, you know, we talked about this in one of our gear episodes. We talked about object permanence and now it's this really big deal for me. My batteries Mm -hmm. are always in the one spot when I'm charging them. And when I load up my camera bag, I always check, do I have my batteries? I check my cameras. Do I have batteries in my cameras? And I have enough batteries that, you know, if I have them in my cameras and in my camera bag, I'm covered. And I just don't want to make that mistake ever again. Because it really was one of those times where you stop and you kind of stare up in the sky and you're like, why do I do this? <laughs> you know, this is totally, this is totally, oh, totally, totally humiliating. Totally. So... Always, always, always double check your gear. Make sure everything you intend to bring is there and have a place for everything in your bag and have everything in its place so that when you jump on that airplane or hop in that car, you don't get to your destination and realize you just don't have what you need to do the job. Yeah. So for me, what I found myself doing is basically doing like a big flat lay before I take a trip or before I do any sort of, you know, go to a photo shoot or something. Um, not necessarily in that flat lay sense of I'm going to take a you know top down picture of all my gear, which looks really good on Instagram. Oh, yeah. But just to have everything spread out, even though, you know, I have stuff in my bag and I know where it goes in my bag and some of the stuff just stays in my bag. I will, you know, find a big surface either on the floor or on a big table and just lay everything out just to make sure I have it all there. And, you know, with batteries, make sure that there's something – if they're charging, you know, maybe I have like a battery case or the little protective plastic thing just right. to remind me like, OK, th- those are the batteries. So that just like I can see it all because it's so easy to think that you have something in a pocket of your bag and then realize that it's not there, especially if it's something that's, you know, charging in another room. Right. So even though it sounds – like extra work. Oh, it's so worth it just to, to, to see it all and then pack it up. Yeah. You want to mitigate those, those types of mistakes by just being careful when you're setting up your gear for your trip. Okay. Well, I, I'm going to jump on that something similar and I can't remember if I've told this story on the podcast before, but uh, I so think you I, have, I, I will it's such a good for one. your let's, indulgence. Let's do it again. Okay. Uh, so this wasn't a case of leaving anything at home. Uh, I was in Hawaii uh, with my wife and we were on like a little fairly secluded beach and there were some people who who were surfing and it was sunset and like it it was just really idyllic. Sounds perfect. I had my camera. I had my my camera, my uh, Fuji X-T1. It has, you know, one card slot and 
I'm just shooting and I'm shooting and I'm shooting and just really enjoying the moment, right? <laughs> Getting into that 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 thing that we've talked about so often of of just being in the moment and that flow state. Mm-hmm. And after taking some shots of the surfers and the golden light, I sat down to just sit and review because I, I wasn't chimping. I was just shooting, shooting, shooting. It was great. And uh, – <laughs> I pushed the little the little play button on the back of my camera and it says no images. I'm yeah. like, what? And I did not you were have practicing, a card right? in my camera. You were just practicing. I was practicing. Yeah. <laughs> and so the solution to this is a lot of cameras will not shoot if you don't have a card in or or it'll give you a warning when you go to shoot. Mm-hmm. And for some reason that was turned off on this camera. I think I think maybe I had been writing about something and I had turned it off or something some you know cosmic circumstances of events that c- caused that camera to not tell me that there was no card. And literally I sat down in the sand and I just had that crushing moment of can I even call myself a photographer if I'm in this place and I don't have a memory card? And of course, I didn't have another one in my bag. God only knows why. It was back at the <laughs> back at the hotel room because I was traveling light, et cetera, et cetera. Just a failure on all levels. Uh, it was very humbling. However, now I make sure that that setting is on. I make sure I have a card in my camera. I make sure I have <laughs> extra cards at hand. I think because, you even keep a memory uh, card. It, taped to your inside of your shoe, right? I mean, you, you're like, you have memory cards <laughs> everywhere. I, I, I tape it to my forehead <laughs> keep just one to tape make to sure. Forehead. I have one taped to the back of my phone. I've got one to, yeah, keep memory cards everywhere. <laughs> Gaffer tape is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, um, so that is, oh, I think, one great lesson from that. And this is, this is true of, every, and I've heard this story so many times from other photographers. Cameras, if you have them set up as they come from the factory, Almost always, they're going to say in the menu somewhere, uh, "Do not shoot with it without an SD card or without a lens." Or right next to those two, <laughs> how why you'd shoot without a lens, yeah. I have no idea. But um, making sure you always have an SD card in there for the camera to even operate is absolutely important. Now, the reason you turn it off is if you're tethered shooting. So if you're plugged into a computer and your files are going directly to the computer, then you might turn that, that off. But really, that should always be on. And even when I'm tethering, I'm always shooting to the card too, just because I'm so worried about having that on and then forgetting it's on and, and having my camera work just right. fine. I will say back in my days as a photojournalist, I did shoot an assignment once with no film in my camera. I did that once. Oh. And that created this really strong fear that, oh my God, do I have film in my camera? And I still have that to this day with memory cards. I'm Luckily, my cameras have two memory card slots, and so mm-hmm. if I take one out to pop it into a card reader, I could still use my camera. But um, yeah, man, that is one of those things that you know I kind of lay awake <clears throat> at night worrying about because yep, yep, you could shoot a really important assignment and not have a memory card, and that 
you know, you should not be a professional if that happens to you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and also like a corollary to this is uh, for some reason, I often bump the little little lock switch that's on SD cards. Mm, Yeah, the little Um, sliding thing on the side. The little sliding thing. Fortunately, my camera will tell me that it's, you know, the card is protected, Mm. but if it doesn't do that, or even if, if the little lock slider is just like halfway moved, the camera will say, oh, well, this card is locked. Right. And then you can't shoot. And so even if, if that happens and your camera tells you that, you want to make sure that you discover that before you need to start shooting. Yes. So don't, you know, turn on your camera right as the wedding is happening or something <laughs> and then realize that, that oh, 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 it's locked. Okay. And then you're fumbling right. and then they say, I do. And then you get the camera up and you're hosed. Yeah, I think that uh, you know, general systems check before before you need to go to work is always a great mm-hmm. a great step. Every time I mount a lens on my camera, Sony cameras have this weird and, and mine's been doing this a lot lately. This weird little thing where they just don't act right if the lens isn't um, kind of seated properly, the contacts aren't seated properly, and oh, so you uh-huh. kind of have to. Even though the lens is locked on there, you kind of have to wiggle it a little bit. It's it's something I don't like. <laughs> it's very disconcerting. That but, sounds um, problematic. Yeah, it's it's not fun. And so every time I go to shoot, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to trust that when I turn this on, it's going to work right. I got to test it. And so I test to make mm-hmm. sure my battery's charged, that my cards are in, and that my lens mounted securely. My lens cap is off. You know, those sorts of things are all really important. I I will say this wasn't on my list, but you reminded me. I I once um, stood in panic uh, on a beach during a workshop thinking that my camera had gotten salt water in it or something and died. It was totally bricked. It would not turn on. And I checked the battery. The battery's fine. You know, the fresh battery in the camera, SD cards in the camera. It just won't turn on, won't turn on, won't turn on. Uh, Lens cap. Just, oh no! <laughs> I had the lens cap on. So you know, it's things like yeah. that. You know, just going through that little checklist in your mind and being like, "Okay, this is good. This is good. This is good. like a, a shuttle launch, right, or a rocket launch." You know, they're always like, "Go flight, go mm-hmm. flight, go flight." It's just like that when you turn on your camera. <laughs> uh, you've got to go through your checklist and make sure that you're ready to work because you do sometimes you forget batteries, you forget SD cards. So mm-hmm. I'm going to move on to my next yeah. one. This one's a big one for me, Jeff, and I've actually made this mistake more than once. So sometimes that takes a couple for me to to learn the lesson, but I definitely have the lesson in, in now it's the, I'll never do this again. Problem solved. Yes. Problem solved. So, you know, I'm a Apple user and every now and then I'll get into my finder and I'll look at the folders that I have of my hard drive on my hard drive. So all my images over the years, right. I've got Mm -hmm. thousands, hundreds of thousands of images on my hard drives. And uh, for some reason I was moving computers or something. I don't remember what the exact situation was, but I decided I would get more organized. And so I started making folders and moving files around in the finder. And, um, you know, it was, it was really, I I love to be organized. You know me, Jeff, I love to be organized to help. So I was really proud of myself. I made all these folders and everything made total sense. And I was moving the files over. I'm like, great. All those go here and these go there and everything's in its place. This is going to be so great. And then I opened Lightroom and Lightroom's like, all your images are gone. And I was like, oh, God, I was supposed to do that in Lightroom. (laughs) I thought this is where you were going with this. Oh, I'm cringing. I'm so sorry. I know. This is one of those things where unless you know, you know, you would think that this was okay. But the truth is, and you know this because you've written books on Lightroom. You're writing books on Lightroom. Yeah. 
You yeah. don't mess with your files outside of Lightroom. You just leave them where you imported them. Yeah. And you do all of those organizational tasks inside of the Lightroom, you know, folders panel. And you go right. go ahead and do your organization. Be be like me and go crazy making folders and stacking things in places and being really organized. But do it through Lightroom because God, once Lightroom has to go find those files, it is it is excruciating. In fact, I still have missing files. I know I have the files. But in Lightroom, I just need mm-hmm. to go and individually, and it, it, for some reason, they're not the thing where you click on one and then Lightroom finds all the others in the folder. I, I just need to go through and one by one. And yep. it's, I don't know how many hours this, this mistake has cost me, but it's many, many hours, and so, they're the most mundane, boring hours in the world. So. <laughs> so many hours, so many hours. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and specifically you're talking about Lightroom classic. Yes. Uh, and you know, you, you've got your, your files tab on the side when you're, when you're doing the managing, especially if you have things on multiple drives, because of course your entire library won't fit on your computer's internal hard drive. So you've got things scattered about and Lightroom yeah. is great about knowing where those are, but Lightroom has no sense of, checking to see if a folder has changed and if you break those links break break those locations lightroom's just like ah, i don't know yeah you must have just deleted all your files so you get that whatever. crazy little exclamation and, point on the thumbnail in in lightroom mm-hmm. and you look at that thumb that yeah. exclamation point like oh, you know did i accidentally delete all my files and they're like go? you know where are they and so you got to go you got to go reconnect lightroom to those files it's yeah. really um, yeah, it's really frustrating. And so, one of the things that that frustrates me also is the interface in Lightroom is not great for doing this. I really wish they would have some sort of separate module that would be more file organization disk type of thing. Because, mm. like in my situation, I import things into basically into the computer, and if I don't have my external drive connected, it'll get imported into the internal drive, and then I right. want to eventually move it to the external, you know, maybe in a couple of months or when I'm no longer editing that set or whatever. And I have to, you know, drag the folder for the day of that shoot and drag it down, down, down through the file hierarchy. Okay. Onto the external drive and put it in the right place. And then Lightroom knows where it is. Hmm. And it just, so you actually go in the the little, little window, the, in, in Lightroom classic, the folder window. And you grab the folder and drag yeah. it in that window. Oh, because I, yeah. I select the photos within that folder and then I drag them to a new folder. So I use the grid. Oh, that to works do too. That. Yeah. And, then, and so I didn't know you could grab the folders and do that, but I could really get in trouble doing that. So there's another mistake I could make in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm super leery of that now. <laughs> it's also worth pointing out. Uh, also, if you use regular Lightroom or Lightroom desktop or just Lightroom or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. You don't have that problem because it throws everything into one big library location and you can specify an external destination. And, and actually this is one of the things that I love about the regular Lightroom and why I tend to use it a little bit more, especially mm-hmm. for importing. I'll import everything, and if I don't have that external drive connected, it's no big deal. It's just it keeps everything on the internal drive. Okay. And then so I import everything and do some editing, whatever, quit Lightroom. Then the next time I open Lightroom, if the 
drive is connected, so let's say I've gone back to my office, I hook up my external drive, it knows that it's connected and it will automatically take all those images that I imported and copy them over to the external drive. And I don't have to do anything other than just watch it copy. Mm, I see. And I if see. and if the drive is not connected, then it'll pop up a thing and say, you know, your your destination drive is not connected. Do you want to skip this for now? And it'll just keep checking with you to make sure that you're ready to, to copy that over. And I, I love it because it's hands-off, but it also gets things in the final destination that I want it to be at. Yeah, it's, it's, so that's, it is really th- nice. That's kind of I cool. just used it last week. I was in on spring break and vacation down in California, and I, was, I made a bunch of photos at Joshua mm. Tree National Park. And I only brought my iPad Pro on the trip, and so I imported days worth of shooting into the iPad so I could play around with the photos and show them to people. Mm-hmm. It, it synchronizes so nicely to my Lightroom Classic library because I have that external hard drive that those files live in designated inside Lightroom. And it just so nicely does that. Mm -hmm. So when I got home uh, and turned on my computer, you know, an hour later, all the photos were already imported in all the work that I'd done on them in the catalog was all there. It's just really, it's really nice. That whole system works so well, you know, as long as you don't go messing around behind it in the finder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'm going to be pedantic for a second and point out what you just described uh, is, is syncing from the iPad up to creative cloud. Correct. And then the cloud syncs it back down to your computer, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great because oftentimes you'll get home and everything is just there on your computer. Right. Um, and then what I was talking about, there's, there's a specific preference in the in the Lightroom preferences that lets you specify where your originals should be stored. And right. then for that, I specify the external drive. So I'm still getting the, the cloud syncing and all that. But the originals, once I'm back in my office and the drive is connected – it knows that that external drive is where the originals live. Yeah, and that's that's why I brought it up is because I had my uh, all my stuff turned off here at home, and so once I got home and I turned it on, it synced to that external drive because that was where I had designated the lo- the destination yeah. location. So, anyway, tell me about one of your other anyway, mistakes, yeah. Jeff. <laughs> uh, that's it. I don't have any that's other it? mistakes. Oh well, I'll just keep going on my long. I've got a list of arms long. <laughs> this is actually a really good example of something that I do to this day, uh, especially when I'm shooting landscape images, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the techniques when you're shooting landscape is you use a, a really low aperture, so high number, small aperture, so like F8, F10 sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you get that nice long depth of field focus so that – you know. It, it, Everything's in focus because you want everything from here to the horizon. The problem is quite often and depending on where you're situated, the stuff that's directly in the foreground will be blurry. Sure. Because it's really close. My brain is thinking – yeah, yeah, because it's really close to you. But my brain is is looking at the vista, the mountains, the lake, the whatever and and focusing on that because I want – I want lots of focus as much as I can and then I forget about that that really close foreground area. And as I'm looking through the viewfinder, it's it's just not really apparent to me. And then I look at the photos later and it turns out that not only is the the foreground blurry, it's like 25% of the image. 
that's just that's just soft. And the problem is, is that my eyes go straight to that that blurry part because it's in the foreground. It's big. It's distracting, and the shot just looks terrible in my view. And so I've taught myself when I'm shooting like that, like focus on the foreground or make sure that that what is in the foreground is in focus because. Your aperture will take care of having everything else in focus when you're shooting, you know, like I said, F8, F10, F11. And then you don't have to worry about that. But I have so many pictures that are really perfectly fine and I end up having to crop it in because I screwed up the bottom of it. And then I don't have the the same vista that I had in mind. And it's just – it's blurry. It's distracting and I've made the mistake too many times because I'm not looking at the entire frame. I'm not scrutinizing it. I'm just like, ooh, look at the shiny, colorful part over there. Yeah, you're responding to the subject matter that you're really excited about. One of the problems we have with digital photography, and it's something I mention in my classes a lot, is oftentimes it'll look just fine on that screen on the back. You take a quick glance, you Mm, chimp a little bit. You're like, oh, it's great. I got it. If you don't stop and, and zoom in and check your work, uh, to make sure mm-hmm. it's in focus, you're really taking a big risk. And this is a classic mistake that I've made many times is I, I look yeah. really quickly on the LCD on the back. I'm like, it looks good. And I keep going and I'll shoot, you know, three, four, 500 photos sometimes at a really nice sunset, really nice sunrise. And I'll get back and I'm like, well, I wish I'd had something I could because a lot of this stuff, <laughs> a lot of this stuff is out of focus. You know, yeah. there are things we can do now to help sharpen things that are a little bit soft. But if something's really out of focus, it's gone. Yeah, not like that. And so, yeah. learn how to zoom in on review in your camera. And one of the mm-hmm. great things about a mirrorless camera uh, is you can use the EVF. So if it's sunny out, if it's really hard to see that screen on the back of your camera. You can use the little screen inside. And zoom in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do this all the time. I've always got my camera up to my yeah. face, kind of looking at my photos and zooming in, checking the subjects and making sure that, that that depth of field is appropriate. Now, if you're shooting an F8, F11, even F16, most of the time your subject matter, if you focus on that close subject that's closest to you, a lot of times that, that'll cover that range. But you need to check that background too. So check the focus on the subject. Yeah. But then take a look at the background. And I, I actually caught this uh, last week. I was photographing these cacti in Joshua Tree National Park. And the mm-hmm. they were pretty close to me. I was a couple feet from them. But then the valley beyond is miles away. And I wanted that sunrise coming up to be sharp. And so I focused on the cactus. I took a shot reviewed it and looked at it and the background was just a little off. And so I'm like, okay, I need to, it's actually far enough that me shooting it, my lens closed down all the way. And my prime lens that I was using, uh, only goes up to F16. So I was closed down all the way. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to get the background in focus, um, because the subject is so close. So I have to do two shots and then I'm gonna have to combine them in Photoshop and focus stack. Right. So you need to check your work so that you can make sure you get what you want. You've done all this work to get to the scene don't make the mistake of assuming that your camera got it all in focus. You got to you know, check yeah. that stuff. Yeah. And uh, let me ask you a question. When you're shooting and, and looking through your EVF or the screen, mm-hmm. do you shoot with, with any information around it? Because one of the things that trips me up is I'll have, you know, the, the, the shot information, the ISO, the, ooh, 
I said it wrong. The ISO, ISO and the shutter <laughs> speed and all of that. <laughs> Speaking of making mistakes. I'll put a sound uh, in when I edit this. It'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll have all that visible because I want that information, but oftentimes it's covering up a good portion of that that small portion of the bottom of the frame. And so I'm looking at that as the information. I'm not checking the focus unless I go and specifically review and check the focus. Right. So for me, when I when I zoom in, all that stuff goes away. So when you hit the zoom button on my camera anyway, uh, any overlaying data, uh, numbers, grids, all that stuff kind of goes away and I can look. Yeah. Really, just it's all about yeah. the pixels. Um, and so I, and I do encourage people to zoom in. Without the information. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I can cycle through that with the display button, you know, cycle through different right. things. And so normally when I'm shooting, I'll have a th- rule of thirds grid and a histogram over my photo. And sometimes the histogram's obscuring something I want to check later and things like that. So, you know, mm-hmm. zooming in and, and moving around. So I have a zoom button and then I have the little joystick on the back and I can actually kind of move around inside the photo and around, uh yeah. yeah i i'll spend a couple minutes sometimes this is a really critical scene and i want to make sure i've got it i'll be there with my eye just mashed up into the camera just looking at that evf and uh, moving that joystick around checking all the corners checking yeah. all the all the stuff because i can't focus that later <laughs> all right is it I time for me to do now. one oh boy so do you have any more mistakes I, <laughs> do i have any more mistakes how much time we got? So this is one that I've done actually more than once. And it occasionally I will switch my camera from shooting in raw. I almost always shoot in raw. I mean, that's my def- yeah, 99% absolutely. of the time I'm shooting in raw. But if I'm doing something like a time-lapse, classic example, you know, if I'm shooting a time-lapse that has, you know, 900 shots in it or some crazy number like that, I'll switch over to JPEG. Oftentimes uh, when I do that, I'll have a JPEG profile setup so that it's in the 16 by nine format and it's got the certain color mm-hmm. settings and, and tonality that I want. And I'll shoot that time-lapse and then I'll, you know, usually time-lapses I'm doing are, are late at night sunset type things. And I'll turn my camera off when it's done yeah. with the time-lapse and I'll throw it in the bag. And then the next time I go shoot, I'm just banging away and I'm making JPEGs and I don't want those JPEGs anymore. I, you know, I just wanted to do the time-lapse in JPEG. So I end up making a bunch of critical images in uh, a compressed format that I don't want to shoot. I don't want to process in JPEG. So <laughs> I've done this more than once. I wish that my camera, when it was in JPEG mode, would actually put like a red band across the screen or something that would be like, are you sure? <laughs> um, you know, hey, do, dummy. <laughs> dude, you're in JPEG mode. It's It really is. It's like driving around um, with the trunk open in your car and you don't know, right? <laughs> you want somebody yeah. to pull up next to you and be like, dude, your trunk's open. <laughs> so I wish my camera would would alert me, but I've happily shot you know, almost full days before and look down and finally notice that it says JPEG in the corner of my screen. And then I'm yeah. like, Oh, yeah. Or I even worse, <laughs> I've gotten back and I put them on my computer. I'm like, well, I got these JPEGs. Where's the Ross? Like, you didn't make any Ross dummy. Yeah, exactly. You've you never just done got that, more though. JPEGs on the other card. Yeah. You've never, no, done no, that. no, no, of course not. Of course not. I mean, this is the, this is just like, like doing the flat lay of your equipment is before you're shooting, Go through all your settings to make sure those are correct and shooting what you want. I cannot tell you this is sort of maybe I'm going to throw in a bonus bonus mistake here that I've done many, many times, which is I will shoot at a high ISO the night before 
because, you know, I'm, I'm in a low light situation and then forget about it. And then the next day in bright sunlight, I'm shooting and realizing like, wow, my, my camera is shooting at like one four thousandth of a second. What's going on? And then I realize that, um, you know, my image is completely noisy because <laughs> I'm at like some absurd ISO. Maybe I'm just bringing this up so I can reiterate that ISO is the word. ISO, ISO, ISO. is the word. ISO, but, yes. But I've done that mistake too, Jeff. ISO is the word. Yeah. I'm shooting some yeah. sunrise. I'm like, man, I'm banging out some awesome speeds. I don't have to worry. I don't even have to have my camera on a tripod. I'm just going. And my ISO <laughs> is like 6,400. Yeah, you know, or something crazy like that. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Gosh, that was a really grainy, grainy, smoky sunrise, wasn't it? <laughs> There's no. actually a great video from our friends over at DP Review. I, I remember running across this. It was for the X-T2, the, the Fujifilm X-T2, and they shot – a wedding with it. Oh. So two of them had – so Carrie Rose and Wen Mayhill, they each had cameras and they were shooting somebody's wedding. And they're you know going through and they're talking about the features of the camera, et cetera. And at one point – we'll put a link in the show notes for this. At one point, they're talking about the JPEG simulations and how, how good the JPEGs are out of camera and realize that this is a good thing because Carrie had inadvertently shot a wedding – all in JPEG all day. He had like set a an uncompressed raw setting, but that didn't actually turn on the raw. It was just a preference. And the pain of that, I, I think we've all experienced some of that, but to do that at a wedding and there's just this beautiful shot of Carrie just looking <laughs> absolutely forlorn. <laughs> She's sitting in a chair like I can't believe – in fact, I think that's kind of what helped inspire this this episode is that feeling of how did I even do this? What mistakes and damages in my entire life led me to this point where I would shoot a wedding in JPEG instead of RAW? Right? Such an imposter. Turned, I'm such an imposter. It all turned yeah. out okay, but yeah, yeah. So always check your settings even if you're sure – that nothing has changed. You could have bumped something, somebody yeah. that that ISO dial, putting it into your bag, all all those things. All those things can happen. And you know, I encourage my students in my classes to shoot in manual most of the time. Mm -hmm. One of the downsides of that is you you change something, your camera's gonna be like, that's what you wanted. <laughs> you wanted to shoot yeah. at twelve thousand <laughs> ISO. Sorry, I almost said ISO again. Twelve thousand ISO. That's what you wanted, right? Another thing to, to be cautious of especially if you're an event photographer, right? You're shooting weddings or you know, engagement photos or anything like that. You know, these, you're not going to get a chance to go back and redo this probably most likely. So you got to show up early and you got to double check everything, everything in your kit. You've got to check all your settings, check all your batteries. Everything's got to be checked. I have shot back when I used to shoot in a semi-autonomous mode. So like aperture priority, for instance, the, mm -hmm. For some reason, the camera manufacturers put the aperture priority dials on the very corners of these cameras. And uh, the reason they do it is because it, it makes it easy for you to adjust it on the fly. But it also makes it really easy for you to adjust it as you slide that camera in out of your bag or as you're carrying it around uh, on a shoulder strap and it's rubbing against your you know, your chest or your, your side or something, that little dial is going mm -hmm. zzz, zzz, and and you go to take a photo and it's <laughs> now your three stops or more <laughs> over or underexposed. And you can't figure out why, because right. you didn't set that up. You know, why is it doing that? Why is my camera broken? One mm -hmm. of the great things about one of my newer camera, my Sony a seven four is it's got a lock on that dial. Now 
And I love that. I love dials yes. a lot because I'm always moving the dials around mistake. It's just a, a fact yeah. of life with, especially with mirrorless cameras, all these dials on top, you're going to bump those. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to double check <laughs> that stuff and make sure you're not shooting in JPEG. Make sure you're not over or underexposed because yeah. your aperture priority has yeah. been tweaked. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a special feeling of hell when you start shooting and you realize that your camera has been put into movie mode Mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm going to start shooting. And then it's just blinking at you. Yeah. And the screen's all long. You're like, what's going on? Audio levels. Why do I need audio levels? You know, one one thing (laughs) this just reminded me of, Jeff, Um, I was on a workshop once. I think we were one or two days in, so it wasn't a total disaster. But one of my clients brought me their camera and we were looking at just looking at the photos, they, they just wanted some tips. There was, they, they didn't think they had a problem. They just wanted some tips. And I was looking at the camera. I'm like, God, these look really, these photos look soft. And so I'd zoom in on it, you know, with the zoom in button. I'm like, yeah, I, I hit the zoom in button, but we're already zoomed in. And they had set the resolution to low resolution. And I don't know why oh, no. they'd done it. They didn't know why they'd done it. They didn't know when they'd done it. <laughs> and I'm like, you you're, mm-hmm. all your shots, you're only using, you know, a portion of the resolution your camera's capable of doing. And so when you're checking your settings, that's another one to check and make sure you're not shooting in a smaller, um, you know, file size resolution. So no, you know, shoot right. in raw, but make sure you're also shooting full res raw. And at some point we can talk about these types of camera settings, you know, compressed and uncompressed raws and things like that. But the big ones are raw and full resolution and you're good to go. You're not going to make any bad files that way. Yeah. But gosh, I just talking about these mistakes, it reminds me <laughs> that one of the reasons that photography is so rewarding as a, a hobby, as an avocation, as is something to do for a living, is that it requires a lot of skill. It requires a lot of attention to these things. And in my classes, one of the things I, I liken it to is spinning plates. I don't know if you've ever seen these circus acts where people spin yeah, plates yeah. on top of these sticks and they have to keep the plates all spinning or things come crashing down. To me, that's photography. You've got to have your mind going in, in a thousand different directions. And that's so good for us as humans. Our brains really thrive in that type of environment. It's challenging. It's very difficult. But when we talked about flow state, you know, go back and see episode two of this podcast, mm-hmm. you can't achieve that type of satisfaction without having a really uh, difficult challenge in front of you and overcoming these short sighted things that we do sometimes when we're in a rush and remembering all of our settings, remembering all of our gear, like batteries and memory cards is part of this process that makes this stuff so satisfying. So as much as I hate making mistakes, I really love the threat of the mistake because it keeps me on my toes, keeps me, keeps it exciting. Mm. You know, I'm not bored taking photos because I'm I, I know I'm prone to screwing up. <laughs> well, and you know that, that's also the nice thing about digital too. You can screw up a lot, and you're not burning canisters of film. So that's oh great. yeah, yeah, I've got okay. some horror stories so, on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more. Oh, I love it. So the the specific instance of this was actually because I I know the good folks at DP Review mm-hmm. when Peak Design came out with their travel tripod. Uh, the DP review folks got an early pre-production model so they could write about it. And so I got to – And you snuck into the office and stole it, for it a didn't day. you? You snuck in. I snuck it in. Snuck in. No, I, I asked very politely if it's I It's so could small. You hit it in your sleeve and, and walked out. 
(laughs) (laughs) So I had one day to play with this tripod. And of course, I had all sorts of other deadlines and projects and all that. So basically, woke up this day and it was super foggy. I love the fog. And where I live, I can walk maybe 15, 20 minutes and there's this park where you feel like you are in the middle of the forest. Mm. So it's foggy. It's mm. perfect. Like like the thing that I, I just love about photography. And so I take the tripod out. I get it all set up. And I grab my camera. And what's not on the camera? I didn't have a Swiss Arca plate to connect it to the tripod. So I went to all this trouble and I could not actually use the tripod because I couldn't get my camera to actually connect to the tripod. And so you didn't just set your camera on top of it, just lightly set it there, just balance. Oh, I totally did. I totally (laughs) did. But I, it's not the same at all, especially because it's foggy. It's dark. I knew I would want to have some, uh, you know, longer exposures and that just wasn't, it just wasn't possible. Yeah. Uh, so for me, having plates connected to the things that I need, whether that's an L bracket or um, if I have a – on my X-T3, I have a battery grip. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. sometimes if if I'm using that because I, I want to extend the life of the battery or whatever, making sure that I have a plate that I can screw onto there. And the other side has also bit me, which is – when I rented lenses, especially big zoom lenses, and, and they all have that extra foot because mm-hmm. you, you want to mount the lens on your tripod for the for the weight balance. Yeah. Well, rented that. It doesn't come with a plate. Mm-hmm. And so I use one of my plates. I put it on there. I use it. Go on a workshop. Have that for a week or two. Send it back. I don't know how many little plates I have sent back. It's really, it's really kind of you, though, Jeff, to make sure that the next user of that <laughs> lens has super a plate. Kind of yeah, me. yeah. So, oh, <laughs> so you wrote up to it's, wrote peak design. It, it's and you're ridiculous. Like, hey, I need like twenty of these plates, right? <laughs> oh, a box of these plates. That is something totally, that, that totally. I've done too. I've I've showed up with a tripod and a camera, and no way to connect them. All of our good tripods, they don't have the little threaded stud that you screw into the tripod socket on the bottom of your camera. They all require a plate that you clamp to and. It's just one more piece of gear that you've got to keep keep control of. And yeah, it's really challenging, especially if you're you have multiple cameras and multiple lenses that with with foot foot feet, foots <laughs> with feet foot on. Them. <laughs> I have had I've had trouble with um, my pan I have a pano rig, as you know. I, I like taking panoramas. Oh yeah. And I have brought the pano panorama rig, which is kind of heavy, and you carry it in your bag and you go to get there and you're missing one part of it because you left it laying somewhere. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, it's there's so many bits and pieces to this this craft that we do, all these tools that we have to keep track of is definitely discombobulated. Yeah. And we need to combobulate it definitely by discombobulated. Yeah, it's definitely discombobulated. I gotta get my head. Combobulated. Um, <laughs> still on vacation. You're discombobulated. I'm all discombobulated. But yeah, making sure all of that stuff is in its place. And I want to circle back around and say that a lot of my mistakes are gear related and they're things that I forgot to bring mm-hmm. uh, or assumed that I brought. And just because they're always there, it's always right there. Yep. And for some reason, I took Object it off and man. changed it. So I think a general rule for me right now is I 
typically shoot in manual raw. I have this certain settings that I like. There's certain gear that I use all the time. And I have a, I do have a routine. I'm stuck in the mud as far as a certain routine that I follow. If for some reason I go out of that routine, let's say I'm working on a special project. I want to try something new, which I like, I'm trying to do more and more of. I have to make a note. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're breaking your routine. Remember to reset everything back to square one so uh, that you yeah. aren't screwed up when you go take that camera out of the bag. A good rule. And we've been talking about how when you get to a, a, a scene, you get to a, an event, get your camera out and check it. But a good rule is to do that setup at the end of your previous event. So don't put your gear yeah. away dirty. That's a good way to put it. So I, I read a book once about Navy SEALs. And one of the things that Navy SEALs do, no matter how hard the mission was, no matter how tired and dirty and sore they are, when they get back, they clean all their gear and put it away exactly where it's supposed to be. Because the next time they get the call, they're not going to have time to set it, to clean it all and, and do the right thing. And I think that's a great tip for photographers. You know, we need to reset our gear and put everything back to where it should be for us. We're expecting it to be so that when we get to where we're going, we don't lose that sunset or we don't miss that bouquet toss or whatever, because we were just yeah. fumbling around trying to get our camera set up. Crazy. Well, I'm glad that we've covered all this because now this means that we're not going to make any more mistakes because we've we've exercised those mistakes, the stories from within us, and now everything's going to be perfect and happy and smooth like I was talking about. Like it's just the art now, man. Absolutely, yeah. It's just going to be all about <laughs> mastery. I, I, I want to say, Jeff, that I think as a service to people who listen to this podcast and to students of my courses and – just people in general, I think I'm going to continue to make mistakes for them. I'll just do it for them. (laughs) So, so basically the message that we're leaving people is that we make a lot of mistakes and we're not to be trusted. Perfect. Well, geez, Jeff, you put it that way. It sounds awful. (laughs) No, it's, we're like test pilots, right? No, 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 no. Okay, 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 okay. You make a lot of mistakes and you're not to be trusted. I, on the other hand, total master. No. Mm-hmm. Total sure, master. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I am really curious. I would love to hear stories from uh, people listening. Like, what mistakes have you made? What stuff have you learned from? Because, A, it's good because all of us make multiple kinds of mistakes and it's great to learn from other people's mistakes. But honestly, Telling a good mistake story is a lot of fun. Super so fun. like let's hear him. So so send us an email at the, at the website or uh, you know jump into the the Instagram photocombobulate account and you know, we'll have you know, a comment there. You can comment on our Facebook page. Let us page. know because yeah. – Comment yeah. on our Facebook page. I would I would love to hear stories. Yeah, I love hearing stories of mistakes because I get to learn from other people's misery, which is great. And I would also add to yep. all this, Jeff, if we make a mistake in this podcast, please point it out to us so we can learn. And I, I really appreciate uh, Jerry's email because I have been saying ISO forever. And I've been not just saying it, I've been correcting people who said ISO, which is really an annoying when someone's so confident in their in their <laughs> – in their ignorance. You're that, that guy. They, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm like, ah, don't you say ISO. It's an acronym. <laughs> so it's ISO people, not ISO. And uh, there'll be more yeah. mistakes to come. So <laughs> make sure make sure you're shooting in R-A-W and not J-P-E-G. 
Yes. <laughs> Unless you want to make a, a GIF or is it, is it a GIF? Yeah. No, it's GIF. Oh no. I'm pretty sure it's, it starts with G Jeff. It's gotta be GIF. <laughs> oh, for All another right. time. I'm GIF Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm mistake Mason. Anyway. <laughs> Perfect. Please. We encourage you to share this podcast. Uh, subscribe. If you're not already, already subscribed, tell your friends, leave a review. It really helps not only to, you know, get ratings and reviews, but it just ups the profile. And, you know, now that we are now here at episode 17, 17. I think we're at yeah, 17, we're, we're building a good back catalog. And I think all this, all of the episodes that we've made so far are mostly timeless. And so you can go back and you can review techniques. And especially let me point out, we've had some great guests on this podcast, Joe McNally, Scott Kelby. It's just when you have a little bit of time, go revisit those because we've had some fantastic conversations. Yeah. And you should be able to find all those in your favorite podcast app. But if you can't, you can always come to photocombobulate.com. And we've got each episode has its own show notes page and there's a link uh, to the auto file right there on the page and you can just listen to it right in the browser. So please check those out and proud of each one of them. They're, they're lots of fun. But if you have an idea for an episode, please drop us a line when you're on photocombobulate.com. There is a way to contact us. So just send us a uh, message and we will we will do it uh, unless it's crazy. Right. Unless it's something really good. Even that. But give us ideas for episodes. We'd love, <laughs> we'd love to hear from you. And we do appreciate you listening. We, it's just the two of us. And we're uh, doing the best we can to not make too many mistakes. I'm going to bring up one last thing. If you've not already done so, subscribe to our mailing list, which mm -hmm. is also at photocombobulate.com. Because not only do you get news of, of when a new episode appears, that's what we use to do giveaways. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we're giving away two copies of Scott Kelby's The Travel Photography Book. That's right. And we're going to take those names from the list of people who are subscribed. That's kind of the best way for us to have contacts. We're not selling the information. And if you already subscribe, you know that we're pretty much just sending emails when a new yeah. episode comes out. But if you want to get some free stuff, we are our wonderful friends at Rocky Nook. Sometimes let us give away some books. That's the way to do it. That's awesome. Yeah. Those Scott Cubby books will be going to two lucky subscribers here in the uh, next couple of weeks. So make sure you sign up. And if you've got friends who might be interested in the podcast, please have them uh, check us out and subscribe to that mailing list. Subscribe uh, to the show and your favorite podcast app and keep on listening. You sure appreciate it. Excellent. All right. Time to go make some more mistakes. Awesome. Sounds good. I got a bunch lined up. <laughs> Bye.